0: All right. So, um, day 37, we're in Numbers uh, 25 to 28 this morning. And yeah, as we've said before, right? Numbers is about how can God's people remain faithful in the wilderness, right? So, last time we left off, we left off on a high note, right? We had Balaam who went to Balak and gave these four oracles where he prophesied about the future of Israel and looked back on God's faithfulness and promises that were being kept and fulfilled and unfolding before the Israelites eyes. And so it's this big high note in Numbers. And one of the things you see about the Bible is that it usually contrasts high notes of God's grace and power and mercy with the sin of his people. So in Numbers 25, the people of Israel are here in Moab and they begin to intermingle with Moabites, right? And so remember throughout the Bible, God always, um, throughout the Pentateuch, at least the first five books, God was saying, yo, when you go into the land, do not mix in and marry with the other groups and nations. Again, God is not being racist here, he's being religious, right? And the Bible often, you know what the Bible does? It it tells you something, and then it doesn't necessarily always tell you why it told you, but it'll show you why it told you, right? And so here in Numbers 25, you have Israel coming here, mixing in with Moabite, uh, Israelite men, mixing in with Moabite women, and they end up worshiping an idol by all, right? They end up worshiping an idol and it pulls them away from God. So the whole time when God has been telling them, yo, when you, when you get to these different places, do not mix in. Why? Because you're going to be pulled away from worship from me, right? This happens over and over again throughout the scriptures. We think about earlier in Exodus, you know, where they um, leave Mount Sinai and then they start worshiping a golden calf, right? Just all of these instances of where God's grace is manifested to them and they fail miserably, right? And the reason this scene is here is because the Bible is just showing that this is functioning chronologically. Numbers functions chronologically and it just tells it how it is, right? And I think one of the points the Bible is trying to make as well Is that in the wilderness, right? Many times our biggest enemy aren't those who push back against us on the outside. But a lot of times it's who's on the inside, right? That's why God, He rarely ever even talks about what needs to happen to the other armies. He more so talks about what y'all need to be and what y'all need to do because He knows many times our biggest enemy can be on the inside, it could be amongst His people right? And so here, after that, we have this guy named Phineas who turns up, right? And the Bible will say um, that he had zeal, right? And so Phineas sees an Israelite about to marry um, and be with a a Midianite and he uh, basically murders them. Now, again, the Bible is a very, um, it is God's word, right? Without reserve, but it is a very human book. And a lot of times what it is doing is being descriptive and not prescriptive, right? And so basically it is describing what took place, not prescribing how we ought to act all the time. And the, And you see that mostly in narrative. So we need wisdom, we need other scripture, we need community, We need all of these things to interpret the Bible properly and to understand what's descriptive and not prescriptive, right? So here, this is descriptive, right? And Phineas is really. Ultimately, trying to protect the worship of Yahweh, right that's what he's trying to do. that's why it comes right on the heels of um the worship of Baal with the with the Moabites right and honestly in in Israelite culture, this is a militaristic culture. they're literally about to go into the land and fight right like this is a militaristic culture, so that's the climate of the day and on top of that, this was how zeal was um kind of fleshed itself out right uh in this time so twenty-five ten will say the lord spoke to moses phineas son of eliezer son of aaron the priest has turned back my wrath from the israelites because he was zealous among them with my zeal so that i don't destroy the israelites in my zeal and so phineas is showing zeal here for the worship of yahweh um and it sheds kind of light on like why you move to the new testament before paul becomes a christian he is has this kind of um Uh, Jewish zeal, right? Where he is pushing back against the Christians and persecuting them. Again, the Bible is describing what happened, not prescribing. Obviously, we don't want to harm anyone in the protecting of worship of Yahweh, right? And so then in Numbers 26, we have another census, right? So this is the second census, right? Because this is the second generation. I remember at the beginning of the book of Numbers, you had Um, the first census, right? And that was of the first generation and God was showing, yo, these are the people that uh, God brought out of Egypt and they see him part of the Red Sea. Now we have the second generation. So the second generation with the second census and basically the census like bookends the book in many ways. So that's why it's even called Numbers, right? The two census, we talked about that a little bit before. Um, And what God wants to show here is that those who are of the first generation aren't of the second generation, right? And that he will ultimately keep his promise. Now, um, the Bible mentions in Luke 24, Jesus is talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and he's basically telling them, Hey guys, I rose from the dead, but the scriptures needed to be fulfilled, right? The scriptures, those scriptures, right? The law the prophets and the writings, they actually pointed to and wrote about my death and my resurrection. Now, if you go back and read the Old Testament, nowhere explicitly does it say, oh, the Messiah will come, die and rise. But what the Bible wants us to see is the patterns, the deep structures of Scripture. In the book of Numbers, the first generation dies. The second generation comes to life after their death. So in many ways, Israel, again, Israel corporately parallels with Jesus individually, right? And so, because again, Jesus is the ultimate Israelite. So Israel here, in a sense, dies and comes back to life so God can keep his promise. And that's what happens for us, right? The true Israel, Jesus, dies on a cross and comes back to life so that we we can receive the promises of God. And in Numbers 26, God basically says like, yo, these are the folks who died in the wilderness, including Korah and those who were with him. And basically, this is a warning right, for you. Again, this book is written to the second generation. So he's saying, yo, all of these things that you're seeing and that you hear, this is a warning, fam. Like This is so that you will remain faithful. And Apostle Paul will pick up on that theme later in the New Testament, where it's not just a warning for the, for the later Israelites. It's a warning for people today in 2020, right? Um, because God should not be. Tested. So Numbers 27 comes and basically God is saying, yo, these are the laws for the inheritance for those who um, don't have sons and have daughters. So in Israelite culture, you would pass down the inheritance to your oldest son. If you don't have a son, right, you would give it to your daughter. If you don't have a daughter, you would give it to um, not the oldest son, but his brothers, right, one of his brothers. If you don't have if he doesn't have brothers, then you have to give it to um The relatives, right? The closest relative. And what God is just trying to make sure over and over and over again that the vulnerable have what they need, right? God always cares about those who are um, disadvantaged, destitute, marginalized. He, He didn't want a person to grow up and not have an inheritance, right? And not be able to carry the lineage and line along. And so God institutes this here as they get ready to go into the land. And then in the back half of 27, we have a commissioning of Joshua, right? So Joshua comes after Moses. Moses is not able to enter because of what he did in Numbers 20. But Joshua is the one who is going to help the people of God receive their inheritance, right? So again, remember, um, Joshua is of the second generation and, um, Him and Caleb were those who went into the land and spied and seen that it was good, right? They were those who were living by faith, right? And Joshua, the Bible says here, um, was a man with God's spirit on him, right? He's a man with the spirit of God. He has the Holy Spirit on him for this particular task, right? And this man was put in place after Moses so the people of God would not be like sheep without a shepherd, right? Why does this matter? We see the immorality at the beginning, right? And we see that that, that immorality at the beginning and the immorality of Israel in general will not stop their inheritance. It's so funny that at the beginning of chapter 27, God says you are supposed to give an inheritance to the next generation. Why? Why does that? How does this function? The Bible is trying to show us that God is giving them an inheritance, and inheritance that we that we pass on to the next generation mirrors that. And Joshua, his name literally in the Hebrew mirrors Yeshua, right? It's Jesus's name in Hebrew. And this parallel between the two is trying to be shown. Jesus is the true shepherd that has sheep. At the beginning of his ministry, he is. Inaugurated and commissioned to set out on the Lord's purpose with the Holy Spirit. See Matthew 3. And now, you know, um, Joshua functions in the role for the people of God to take them into the promised land and to have possessions, right? To have many possessions to come out uh, of the wilderness into the promised land. We can't get there by our own performance. But again, only by God's promises, by his commissioned person, right? The reality is we can make it through every day in the wilderness and out of the wilderness only by trusting the person God has put in.